All right. Well, today we're going to continue with a series of messages that we started, I guess, four weeks ago now, uh, that we're calling Christmas's Mission, and in which what we're really doing is looking at the same big idea we've been looking at all year long, which is that life is mission, that my life, that your life, the whole of it is to be handed over, it's to be given over, it's to be entrusted to Christ, and not for my mission or for your mission, but for His mission of taking the gospel mercies and message to the whole world. Big mission. But we're looking at life as mission through what I'm calling the lens of Christmas, meaning we are coming to the Bible and we are looking at the explicit statements contained within the Scriptures, made mostly by Jesus, though not exclusively, as we'll see today, about why it is that the eternal invisible God, through a supernatural conception, clothed Himself in our humanity. He is God-made man, really God and really man, and then came into the world on that date set by the Father for that very first Christmas, because here's the deal. We all know that he came, and we all know the stories of his coming. But why did he come? What was his mission? Because as we've also said all year long, whatever his mission was, okay, our mission is. And so today, as we return to our study, what I want you to see is that Jesus came into the world to set us free. And I know immediately then you're thinking, okay, set us free from what? And that's what we're going to talk about. So hang on to that. We pick up our study today in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says this, and I want you to stay with me on this because we are jumping dead center into the middle of a really intense conversation that we have not until this moment been a part of. So don't let that confuse you. Follow what he's saying here because he's setting up an analogy that's really going to explain what we've been set free from. So Paul says this, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a what? Because this is the word that's most important. He's no different from a slave as long as he's a child, he's saying, even though as the heir, he's the owner of everything. But instead, while he's a child, he is under the guardians and managers, the idea being to whom he is enslaved until his date of maturity, until the date set by his father for his transition from childhood to adulthood and thus also from slavery to freedom. So what Paul is doing here is he's reaching into a common practice in those days. He's writing to first century people. Okay, they would have read this and they would have needed to explain to them, but let me explain it to us. Back in the first century, it was not uncommon for children of parents, particularly of wealthier families, for the parents to take those children and for the most part entrust them to guardians and managers, and those guardians and managers would then shepherd over these kids. They would raise these kids. They would discipline these kids. They would tutor these kids. They would teach these kids. These kids, though they were the heir of it all, were essentially the slaves, we'll put that in quotes, of the guardians and managers of these families until the date set by the father for their transition to maturity from childhood and thus slavery to the full rights and freedoms of being a son or daughter as an adult of the father of that family. And back in those days, that was a very clearly marked and celebrated occasion. And so then, for example, and we see this even today, A 12-year-old Jewish boy would have a bar mitzvah. Now, what does that mark? His movement from childhood to adulthood, and back then, really, from slavery, we'll put it in quotes, to the full rights and freedoms of a son. 18-year-old Greek children at an event called an apatoria would do what I wish desperately that Carter Brown would do. They would shave their heads... (laughs) 
So apparently I'm not alone then. (laughs) But they would shave their heads and then they would offer it in fire to the gods. I just want to offer his hair to the brim closet, honestly. Okay, that's enough. Um, But it marked this transition, childhood to adulthood. Roman children at a given age would do something similar. They would take their toys and their dolls, and they would offer them to the gods, saying, in effect, I'm putting my childhood and my childish ways behind, and I'm transitioning into adulthood, which transition also meant I'm moving out from under the slavery of my guardians and managers, and I'm assuming the full rights, responsibilities, and freedoms of an adult heir in the family of my father, Paul is grabbing hold of this idea and he's saying, okay, let me use this idea to teach you something about Jesus and even more particularly to teach you something about Christmas. He's saying that we human beings until the date set by the father for that first Christmas, we're slaves to something. But now that Christmas has come and Jesus has come into the world, God made man who lived and who suffered and who died and who rose again from the dead. Now that we have Christmas, now that we have Jesus, okay, on this side, guess what? Through faith in Jesus, kind of like those kids, we can move out from under the slavery of that which we are under otherwise, and we can move into the family of God and enjoy the full rights and freedoms of sons and daughters of the king. So then what is it that we're enslaved to apart from Christ? And the answer to that, and it comes from the greater conversation that we just jumped dead center into the middle of, is God's law. But I want to state it a little bit more practically because I think this is easier to understand. We are, apart from Christ, enslaved to this idea that, you know what? If I can just do enough of the things that God tells me to do and avoid doing too many of the things that God tells me not to do, then here's what's going to happen. I will know God's favor. I will experience God's blessing. And then at the end of my life, surely the Father will open wide his arms to me and he'll say, Tom, you did it. You're in on your performance. I accept you as my child. Come into my family. Enter into my heaven, enjoy my infinite and eternal inheritance. It's like, great job. And I'm going to give you a little pat on the back as you come through the door. As you come through the door. Okay, here's why this is such a relevant conversation, because that is what most people think, and it may be actually what you think today. You might think that. Almost everybody operates according to that. It kind of makes sense. I mean, good people get in, bad people don't. Seems fair. On top of that, you have to earn everything else in life, so why not this too? It makes sense until you you think about it a little bit. So it may be what you think, and therefore it's relevant, but even if it's not what you think, even if you've been a Christian for decades and decades, even if you've been disabused of this, even as you maybe are doing what I did a little bit earlier this week, I thought, my goodness, this is just kind of a simple gospel message this week. Man, you know, is there something more sophisticated we can think about and talk about? And Is there anything more profound than that? Because here's the deal. This is what most people that you work with think. This is what most people that you go to school with think. Most of the people in your neighborhood, this is the deal, okay? Our city, the world we're called to reach. Good people get in. If you're not good, well, we don't really like to talk about that, so we'll just go with not so much. Paul comes and says, look, if that's what you think, 
That is slavery, and it is a hopeless, despairing place to be if you really flesh it out. Because, I mean, first of all, think about it. If good people are in, how good do you have to be? Is it 51% good, or should you shoot higher? 60? 75%. All right, I lived in a fraternity house, so like, how long do I now have to live? Does that count? Does that go in the scale? That could be a problem. Does adolescence count? I mean, throw that in there. How good do you have to be? And you're like, well, you know, Tom, you're the Bible answer man. Why don't you just tell us what the Bible says? Oh, that's good that we're all seated, actually. Let me read you what the Bible says about our ability truly to be good. Romans 3, verse 10, Paul says, none is righteous. He's saying nobody's good. And then, just in case we missed it, like because you want to argue with that. No, 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 that doesn't make any sense. He says, none is righteous. And then he says, no, not one. Now get this, Romans 3, 12, he says, no one does good, not even one. And we want to argue with that because we've done good things. People have done good things for us. We've seen other people do good things. There was the write-up in the paper about the whatever, and it was good. And everybody universally agrees that it was good, but we're not the standard. We're not the judge. We don't really get to decide. It seems like there's one opinion that matters, and the opinion is, is that of the one who is the judge, isn't it? And here's the problem with every good thing that I have ever done. I'll just talk about me. Somewhere deep down in the core of my heart, there's at least a little bit in me that did it for me. I did it because so-and-so or this whole group of people might think that I'm a generous guy if I do this. Or I did it because I've been given so much, and honestly, it just makes me feel less guilty. Or I did it because I was kind of hoping to buy the favor of, or it just makes me feel good. Or Maybe it's even 1% of 1% of me saying that. But Paul says, look, let's talk about it. From the perspective of God, here you go. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.20, he says, For by the works of the law, meaning by keeping all of God's rules and not breaking any of them, no human being will be justified. No human being will be declared good in God's sight. And then listen to what Jesus says. It's the clincher. He says, if you want to gain entrance into the family of God by being a good person, Okay, well then, here's the standard, Matthew 5, 48. He says, you therefore must be perfect. And just in case we want to kind of go, yeah, but what standard of perfection? He then says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Translation, you can only be claimed to be good, truly, if you are as good as God himself. From conception to death, thought, word, and deed. And Paul is saying, look, if that's the angle that you're working, if that's the track you're on, whether you realize it or not, that is slavery. That's the bad news. But, but the good news is that Jesus came into the world to set us free from that. And so now Paul begins to move us toward that good news in verse 3 where he says, in the same way we also when we, what? Because it's past tense, when we were children. So back to the analogy, when we were children, he's speaking spiritually, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, to, to what it is that we just kind of naturally assume, which is that if I can do enough of you know, the things that God tells me to do and avoid doing too many of the bad things, 
Okay, I get the favor, I get the blessing, I get the big, hey, you're in, Tom, way to go, excellent job, pat on the back. In the end, he says in the same way when we were also, or when we also, when we were children, well, we were enslaved to that utterly hopeless and despairing task, to that incredibly brutal and cruel master, to that, frankly, fool's errand, because again, I mean, how good do you have to be? Oh, wait, we don't even have to wonder about that. Jesus cleared it up. As good as God himself, okay, I'm undone at this point. He says, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, but then he says here in verse 4, that is to say, until Christmas came, because notice what he says now. He says, but when the fullness of time had finally come, meaning when the date set by the Father for the transition finally arrived, look at what God did. God sent forth His Son, supernaturally conceived and born of a woman. So again, He's God made man. He assumes our humanity, who, ha- who as a man was born under the same demands of God's law, including the requirement that it be kept perfectly, that you and I were born under and that we have failed. He says that Jesus was born as a man and under the law to do what? To redeem those who were under the law and who have failed. So that we who put our faith in this Jesus might receive what? Because it's the language of embrace. It's the language of acceptance. It's the language of family. It's the big arms wide open moment. We may receive adoption as his sons and as his daughters, and the only question is, okay, how exactly did Jesus redeem us from under the law that we might then be embraced by the Father, enter into his family, receive his acceptance? And the answer, at least in part, is on is Christmas, because on that date set by the Father for the first Christmas, the infinite eternal God who clothed himself in our humanity and entered into this world began to live a life that, unlike every one of ours, was as good as God's. He led the good as God life that we haven't led, and here's why he came to do it, because we haven't led it. And then he got to the end of that good as God life, having done it, mission accomplished, what did he do? He took upon himself all of our not nearly as good as God thoughts, words, deeds, all of our sin. And he offered his infinitely valuable, for he is God made man, life as a sacrifice. He lived as a man for men, the life we haven't. He died as a man for men, what we, what we deserved. And he washed our sin away with his blood so that through faith in him and based upon his performance. Okay, now we can know God's favor. We can experience God's blessing. And at the end of our lives... Whenever that happens to come, it's arms wide open time. But this time it's not, Tom, you did it. It's Tom. You know what? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And you gave your sin and life to him. Enter into my heaven. Partake of my inheritance. Receive the acceptance that he has purchased for you and freely gives to you through faith in him. And so Paul says again, he says that when the fullness of time had finally come, God sent forth his son supernaturally conceived and born of a woman, 
born under the same demands of God's law that, well, we were, to redeem those who were under the demands of that law so that we then, through faith in Christ, might receive adoption as God's sons and daughters, to which he then adds, and because you what? It's so cool. It's present tense, because you are. He doesn't say, because someday you will be his sons and daughters. He's like, no, no, no. You have faith in Jesus. You're his sons and daughters now. And here's why. Because it's not based on your A, unfinished, and B, imperfect performance, but rather it's based on his finished, perfect performance on your behalf. My goodness, as he expires on the cross, what does he say? I'm almost done? He says, it is finished. He says, because you are his sons and daughters. Okay, well, notice what else he does, because it's cool. There are two sendings. He sends someone else now. He says, God has also sent the Spirit of his Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, into our hearts. And notice what he's crying, because it gives us a picture. And it's a beautiful picture, crying, Abba, Father. The image here is that of a little child and his father. And I say that because the word Abba is like the word Daddy in English. And the image that Paul's holding before us and wants us to look at, to see, to be transformed by is the image of like a little toddler, you know, coming up to his dad, you know, with his hands in the air and he's like, you know, dada or something. He's trying to get his attention, you know. And, and what is that child saying with his hands in the air to his father? You've seen it if you're a parent. He's saying, pick me up. He's saying, twirl me around. He's saying, throw me in the air. He's saying, walk me around and show me off to all your friends as your prized possession, as your precious boy or girl. He's saying, I am exhausted and I want to lay my head on your shoulder because that for me is a place of peace. That for me is a place of security. That for me is a place of significance. That is where I find my rest. He's asking his father to take him up into his embrace that he might understand, know, and experience subjectively. Experience all that his embrace entails. So Paul is saying that, but I'll tell you what else he's saying. He's also saying that God by his spirit needs to do a supernatural work in your heart for you to experience that. For you to not just go, okay, Tom, I think I understand the image. I see it. I've seen it as a parent. You know, my little toddler has come up. And, and it's not always attractive. I'm not going to lie because sometimes they've got the snot running and the deal and the tears and the diaper, certain diapers. Then I would just say, where's your mom, honey? Because you've got to know your limitations and live within them. You know what I'm saying? But he's cleaned us up and made us perfect. He's cleaned us up and made us perfect precious, innocent. Wow. Children of the Father, he's saying, you know what, before you're really going to not just picture the image intellectually in your head, but begin to live out and experience that image in your heart, in your life, you know what, that takes a supernatural work of God's Spirit too. And I think here's why. Because we do not naturally see God as a favorably disposed Father. And we definitely do not naturally see ourselves as a precious priceless, innocent, really desirable, irresistible little boy or girl. And I think that because I think that we spend more time focusing on our own failures than on Jesus' great victory. 
on our own guilt, frankly, than the guiltless life that he lived for us, and that is ours. He gives it to us for free. Not free to him, but free to me. We focus on our sin instead of the sinless life that is ours through faith in Christ and the fact that our sin has been washed away and absolutely forgiven. And I think worthiness really is a big issue. It really comes into play because we tend to wallow in our self-pity. We tend to focus on all our mistakes, and we tend to just sort of spiral down, you know, the toilet of unworthiness, if you will. Instead of realizing that none other than God himself became a man and entered into this world and by his life and by his sufferings and by his death, burial, and third day resurrection as he said he would be raised, purchased and has given you absolute and utter worth before the Father. And so then, instead of enjoying the security and and the joy and the comfort and the rest and the peace and the significance and all that comes from the warmth of our Father's embrace, I think that we tend to alienate ourselves from it. It is a battle for us, is what I'm saying, to really experience this, and yet we've not been left, and I'm so glad Paul says this, to fight this battle on our own. He has sent the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts to help us take that image and begin to learn what it feels like to live it. So Paul says, and because you are right now God's sons and daughters, God also has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so he concludes, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son or daughter, well, then an heir to everything that belongs to Jesus through God. And that's a good inheritance. So Jesus came into the world to set us free. And I want to close today by asking you three questions. You ready? Kind of pointed. There's my warning. Number one, are you free? Did you roll in here today and thinking that, you know what, I'm pretty sure that I'm a good person, and if I just do enough of what God tells me to do and avoid doing too many of the things that God doesn't tell me to do, I mean, I have no idea what the percentage is, but I'm thinking... Whoo, man, if I can live, you know, an extra 80 years, I can get by that whole fraternity experience. And, and really, and today you're going, my goodness, I, I didn't realize the standard was as good as God himself. Have you realized that and then embraced God himself in the person of Jesus Christ who came to win your freedom from all of that and to bring you into his family by doing it all in your place and for you. So, are you free? Secondly, do you feel free? In other words, have you not only seen this image of God as your father and you the child toddling up going, hey, and then of knowing his embrace, but I mean, do you know his embrace? And I don't mean like, have you known his embrace once and it was about 38 years ago and I remember that time and I felt really close and then not so much ever since. And Because Paul says that God sent his spirit into your heart. And here's the deal. He didn't leave. And what is his cry? It is a cry of intimacy. It is the cry of that image. So if he didn't leave... Who did? What is standing between you and the Father? You know, like, what sin, what busyness, good grief this time of year? 
What is it that has separated you from all of the different means of grace that God in grace has said here? Here is how to come to know me. Here is how to be transformed into the image of my son. Here is how to commune with my spirit. He's giving us things like prayer. He's given us things like his word. Personal worship is what we call that. He's given us moments like this where we gather together with God's people and just break out of the chaos of our life. And for an hour or so, focus in on him. He's given us his people to do life together with, who preach the gospel to us, even as we preach the gospel to them. No, 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 no. You are not worthless. Let me remind you, you're priceless. No, 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 no. You're not to be overridden with guilt. No, you're forgiven. No, I understand that you're ashamed, but that's a trophy of grace, and you need to use that testimony about this to trumpet the Lord. And and He's given us gifts and service that we might come to know Him as we serve Him. Okay, are you free? Do you feel it? Lastly, who will you share His message of freedom with this Christmas? Because if you miss the memo, most of the folks that you know, yeah, this is a good message for. This is a message of life. This is a message of hope. This is a message of freedom. What His mission was, and He came into the world to set us free, Our mission is, and what a wonderful time of year, really. It's like a natural intro to talk about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, and what he offers to all who simply come to him and say, you know what, Lord, Um, I think I get it. Uh, Here, here's my mess. Now give me your perfections, your grace, your mercy your righteousness, your favor with the Father. Because I really want to know what that's like. That, by your Spirit, is the cry of my heart. So are you free? Do you feel free? And who will you share this message of freedom with this Christmas? Think about that, okay? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we thank You that though we did not deserve it, You clothed Yourself in our humanity and, and entered into the fray of this world. Lord, You took upon Yourself all that was upon us, and You lived it out perfectly for us, and then You took upon Yourself all that we've brought upon ourselves all that stood between us and you, all of our sin and mistakes and stuff. And Lord, by your perfect life, you poured out your blood that you might wash all of that away. That too is the message and mission of Christmas. And for that, O God, we praise you. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would do a work of faith in our hearts, that we would surrender ourself and our sin to you and and come to know you and understand you. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. God, and grant to us the desires even to spend time with you and to come to know you and to grow in a relationship with you, to be transformed by you. And we pray also as we enter into this week of Christmas, that you would open our hearts and minds and eyes to the people around us and to who it is 
that needs to experience your freedom, and then give us courage and words and whatnot to say that they also might be set free. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name.